So we are glad that you're here today. We count it an honor to be with you. And um, when, I, when I started to think about today as Father's Day um, and, and think about some of the things we might, we might talk about, I began to think about my journey as a father. I first became a father about 12 years ago and um, began it with an epic failure. I, um, I was assigned the task of changing one of the first diapers and had never changed a diaper had avoided changing a diaper at all costs. And Noah is kind of smirking at me because he knows the story. It's an unfortunate story of his, um, mine, uh, ours, uh, an unfortunate story of ours. And um, I was changing his first diaper and lifted his legs, and he began to pee all over his face. And I was like, he's moving. I can't figure out what to do. And he's like, cover him up. And I started my journey as a dad with a big failure. <laughs> and sometimes I feel like that in general, right? Like there's, there's all of these, these expectations and these moments and these times where we, we feel like we don't measure up to the, to the expectations. And, and I feel that. And maybe you do too. In fact, we all kind of feel some of this not measuring up at different times. It's called shame. There's a, there's a woman named Brene Brown who has spent much of the last 15 or 20 years studying shame. So there is one thing we do, Anita and I, that, that we, we are very particular about. We try to spend as long as we can with people before we tell them what we do. Because as soon as we tell them we're a pastor, like conversation stops. Like any real conversation tends to stop until they figure out whether or not we can be trusted. Like it's, it's just an end it's just a moment that will end. Like, so if I'm, on a, if I'm on a plane or I'm traveling with people and they ask me what I do and I want to keep talking to them, I'll tell them I lead a nonprofit organization in Goldsboro, North Carolina, and I can keep talking. If I don't want to talk anymore, I tell them I'm a pastor and it's over. It's done. <laughs> Brene Brown maybe has an edge up on that because if you can imagine sitting beside someone, what do you do? I study shame and the silence that follows. I mean, it's a great tool. I may try to steal it because we all deal with shame. We all deal with this struggle of vulnerability and trying to be courageous in the midst of it. And it looks different for all of us, right? Um, Brene Brown explains, and I don't pretend to know anything about women, but Brene Brown, she explains that for, for most women, one of the biggest points of personal work in dealing with shame is body image. Clearly not a problem for dads. As we rock the dad bod after about 25, like it just, I don't know what happens, but it happens and we don't seem to care. Um, but for us, do you know what we deal with? Most men's biggest place of needing to work, uh, do this kind of self-work to deal with shame, is when we come to a point in life where we can't fix it for our kids or our family or in ourselves. We feel like we're supposed to be some kind of superhero that always has an answer, that can always fix every problem, that can always solve anything and everything. We'll always be able to protect. We'll always be able to provide. We will always be there to do it all. And we feel a compulsion, whether it's cultural or otherwise, within ourselves to live up to that. 
And anytime we don't, or we feel like we might not be able to, shame begins to rise and begin to manipulate. And we begin to armor up and protect ourselves or make excuses or try to find a way or self-medicate or distract or whatever we do to try to not be in that moment and feel that stuff. And we all will. We all, no matter how good of a father we are, we don't feel like we were good enough. And we know, let's be honest, we know we're going to mess some things up. And our poor children will have baggage because of us that they have to probably see a counselor to deal with. And we struggle. We don't want to be that. And we, and we wonder if we were enough, if we did the right things, if we could have done enough. And we worry about all the things we didn't do. And a lot of times our mind goes there to what we didn't do, not to what we did accomplish. And I, and I began to think about this story. There's a story um, as Jesus is coming near to the end of his life. And, and there's a woman who spent most of her life in a, in a career that she felt a lot of shame for. And the greatest tool she had in that career was this very expensive bottle of perfume. It was kind of like her marketing strategy. It was worth a year's worth of wages. It was worth everything. It was everything she had. And she met Jesus. And she took that bottle and broke it and poured that perfume as a, as, a, as a sign of significance and love and devotion to Jesus. And some of the disciples got upset with her about what she didn't do with what she had. And Jesus' response was she did what she could. It's enough. And she'll be remembered into eternity for that. She did what she could. So for dads, moms, all of us, maybe we start there, do what you can, and let God use that to be enough. Do what you can, and let God use that to be enough. And, I, and as, I, as I kept kind of rolling through this, we, I remembered that the very first passage that I ever had to do um, a, a paper on in college when I was preparing for ministry. You take this class, it's called exegesis, it has nothing to do with Jesus, but it's a class, that word means to read out of. It's where you take passages and you dig into the meaning of every layer of every word and, and, and try to understand it. And the very first passage I ever exegeted was Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. Now, too often our Bibles start that passage at verse 22, but it really begins at verse 21, where it says this, be submissive one to another as to the Lord. And I know that the remainder of this passage has been used to belittle and diminish and manipulate women within the, the religious world for way too long, and I'm not going to do that, and I don't think that it's meant to be used that way. But as it continues in this passage, men are called to be the head of the family, as Christ is the head of the church. But I think this, I believe this, that what Paul is doing, even more than he's giving instruction, is he's making an observation. He's making an observation that the home, the family goes where the man goes. The family, the home goes where dad goes. The church goes where the men Go. The community goes where the men go. Now, you may have noticed, especially if you're new to Hydrant, that we don't have pink carpet. You, you may have noticed that we don't have brass chandeliers. You may have noticed there are no doilies 
or flowers anywhere. You may, you may have noticed this. So at least if you have been in churches a lot, then you notice those things were missing. And that's not an accident. We realize from day one that if we win men, we win the family. If we fail to win men, we fail to win the family. Because the family follows dad. It's inevitable. It happens over time. If dad is in church and in worship and a part of learning and growing and following Jesus, so will the family. If dad is not, it won't take long between, before mom and the kids are just get tired of the fight and stop. If dad is devoted to being a person who's learning and growing and improving himself, so will the family. If dad, if dad is caught up in an addiction, it'll follow. You know, in scripture, they have this, it's kind of this language of, of generational curses, but we just pass things down because we mimic. It's not like this thing that you got to like put a hex on or, or some kind of curse has been cast on your family. It's not like that. It's more this just this reality and observation that we pass down who we are to the next generation. And it's dad. It's dad. And, I, and, and we, can, we can deny it. We can try to ignore it. We can abdicate it. But the truth is, men, you are leading those around you somewhere. The real question is, where are you leading them? Because the way you live your life will, will create pathways for the, those who follow you to follow. And those pathways are going to be clear and straight and easy and good. Or they're going to be filled with holes and obstacles and struggles and disappointments that the next generation has to overcome. And as I, as I began to think about what could I say, what could I share with fathers, because listen, I'm, I turned 40 this summer, while I'm gone on sabbatical, I'll turn 40, and this, this is the craziest thing about this church, I'm older, we went, like I did the numbers, I'm older than 80% of our congregation, I don't know when I got to be the old guy, when I got to be like the experienced person. But there, there's this moment in life where you start to realize, hey, we've done some things that were right and we've done some things that were wrong and we've learned from them. Maybe we should share what we've learned. And, and I've not done as much right as I wish I had as a father. But I'm proud of who my children are. More than anything they do, I'm proud of who they are. And that's probably mainly due to my wife. But we've, we've been intentional. And so my one piece of advice is to step into the role of leading, Dad. Because they're following you. Whether you want them to or not, whether you believe me or not, there will come a day when you look back and you realize they followed me here. And I didn't want to be here. And I didn't want them to be here. But here we are. Or you look back and you realize I'm so thankful I brought my family here. I'm so, I'm so grateful for where we are and how God has worked in that. And I began to think about the difference. And it really is the difference between those who are intentional and those who are not. Those who are flying by the sea of their pants, doing the best I know in the situation. But then I wonder, what if I don't know what's best? What if I had a plan? What if I, if I had something I was intentionally trying to accomplish in our family? What if that could help me narrow down the decisions? answer the hows and the whys and the whats. And so I thought, I don't know a whole lot about parenting, but I've spent a lot of time studying and learning as much as I can about leadership. 
If you go into my office right now, the first thing you'll see is a, a bookshelf that's just full of that. If you open up a tablet and go to the Kindle, there's at least that many more books on leadership. And there's three, three basic things that I think we can do as men to lead. And it so much begins in this place of being like Paul who says, follow me as I follow Christ. I don't have it all figured out. I'm trying to follow him and, and I'll just... I'll just go first. Because that's the essence of spiritual leadership. The Mark, or, um, Erwin McManus puts it this way. He says, the essence of spiritual leadership is following Jesus first and closest. Following Jesus first and closest. And I would add, and then helping those around you to do the same. Following Jesus first and closest. And helping others to do the same. If we are charged with the direction of the family, if the family is going to follow us, whether we want them to or not, perhaps we should walk as close to Jesus as we can so that they're following him. Because we have this responsibility. What if we applied these tasks? Three things. First is a, is a word, it's a biblical word that was started to be used a whole lot in business in the 80s, got really popular in the 90s and is still around, and for good reason. The biblical word is vision. In Hebrew, it's kazon. You find it in Proverbs, Proverbs uh, 29, 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Other translations are where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. There's no discipline, no direction, no boundaries. Where there is no vision... Another translation says people run wild. (laughs) When we have no vision for what we're trying to be as a family, who we're trying to become, we just run after everything in the hopes that something will provide value. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision in our families, we may get lucky, but chances are we're going to open the doors for our children to walk into destructive patterns. For those around us, we're going to walk into them. And we are invited to cast vision for our families. What does that mean? What was he talking about? And I think at, at the very basic, it's to just have this picture or description of what we want for our family in 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 years. What do we want to be true of us? If we were to paint a picture of our family in 15 years, what would it look like? Because I've got this window. My children are born and they will depend on me, hopefully, for just 18 years. And then they'll be able to stand on their feet and walk out into the world and become all they were created to be. That's my job, is to empower them to become all they were created to be. And I have this window of influence where they have to listen to me. And then they'll hit these these teenage years where they'll have a choice. And they'll they'll fight against it and they'll, they'll sometimes listen. But here's the truth. All of the research shows that until 18 years old, mom and dad, you're still the biggest influence on your children's life. No matter what they tell you. You're still the biggest influence until 18. And then they're going to move out. And they're going to start to make choices of their own. And they may or may not listen to anything you say. Probably until 25, nothing. I mean, that's just what I did. 
I'm still not very good at listening to anybody. But I have, a, I have a responsibility, and I have this window. And if I wander into it hoping that in each situation I might make a good decision, I'm not. But if I have, if I have stopped, and we did this early on and we keep revisiting, and we stop and we say, what do we want to be true of us when our kids walk out of this house in the last time that they live under this roof? What do we want to be true of our family? What do we want it to look like? And, 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 and this is the picture of what we're trying to create. It's the why that drives every decision, every strategy, every action. Is This is why, because this is where we're going. And it starts for us, and we want to be a family that trusts in Jesus. It really kind of even boils down to that. Like, Jesus was the only person in history to ever predict his death and resurrection and then pull it off. So if Jesus says it, we kind of go with it. Nobody else has done it. He must know something the rest of us don't. So if he says the best way to live is to lay down your life for others, to live self-sacrificially instead of trying to self-actualize, that's where you'll really find life, then that's what we're going to do. If he says that life is not in attaining or getting, but in giving and generously taking care of everything and trust us, then we're going to be generous and we're going to give. If he says that it's embracing your neighbor as if they were family and praying for your enemies, then that's what we're going to do. We're going to open up our home as often as we can. Holidays are going to be for anybody who is in our community, which is a lot because it's military, who don't have family around and you need somewhere to go, our house is a place to go. Because he says that neighbors become family. That we are a part of this thing called humanity. We're in this together. And he's giving it back to us. If Jesus says, if Jesus says to lay down your life, if Jesus says to give, if Jesus says to serve, if Jesus says to worship, if Jesus says to learn, if Jesus says, I have given you potential, what are you going to do with it? Then we're going to listen. And that's the beginning of vision for our family. But it's, it's, it's really kind of simple. It's made up of a couple of things. It's that picture. But you can start to discern that picture by, with, a, with a really simple question. Right? Like not only is it, you know, what do we want to be known for? What do we want to be true of us? But what do we care about as a family? So maybe if, you, if your family is old enough to sit down and have a conversation together, or if not, you and your spouse, or if, you, if you're single, then you. Like this stuff applies to you. Like who do you want to be? Have a vision for who you want to be. And how do you discern that? You, you ask these simple questions. Like, like where, do we, where do I want to end up? End up? But like, what do I care about? And that's going to be different for everybody. We call those values and core values. Probably not more than five to seven of those can really fit into a life. But what do you care about as a family? What's important to you? Is serving your community important to you? Is travel important to you? Is, 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 is being smart with money important to us? Is generosity, is, the, is, is being a part of the mission of the church important to us? What's important to us? Last year, last year Noah, last time I was transitioning from, from fifth grade to sixth grade. And I'll do this with Sophie too in another year, but last year we took Noah and we went... We went on a, a camping trip together, and we had all of the awful conversations that a dad has with a son of about that age. 
But then we had some, some conversations about really important things like vision and values. And maybe I'm a little strange, but we sat down and we talked about who do you want to be? What do you want to be true of you? What do you care about? And we said these vision and these values, they're, they're meant to guide us. And I gave him a compass, not like a cheap plastic Walmart compass, but it's this nice brass compass in a leather case. I said, this compass can show you how to get anywhere you want to go. And your, your vision and your values are like a compass that will guide you into becoming the man you want to be if you'll let them guide you. Don't have to make a decision in the moment about what's important or what to do, but decide on who you want to be and what's important to you and let those guide every decision you make for the rest of your life. And so we had a, an opportunity to practice this a couple months later. He's with some friends, and he texts me, Hey, Dad, we're thinking about watching this movie. Can I watch it? I said, No, you can do whatever you want. Think about your vision and your values and make a decision. He said, No, Dad, tell me. <laughs> can I watch it? It's like, it's up to you, genuinely. It's up to you. Uh, that's your decision. I'm good with whatever you decide. We can talk about it afterwards. He said, Don't tell me. <laughs> But I would have failed if I told him. I would have made him dependent on me to know what to do. And it's my job and part of the vision for who we want is a kid and a, who can be a young man, who will become a man, who knows how to make decisions based on what's important toward becoming who he wants to be. And if he can't make a decision about a movie, how is he going to make a decision about a spouse? And so we let him make decisions when it doesn't matter. And you can't really mess up all that bad. It's safe. So he learns to do that. We help him process. But it comes back to those vision and values. When you think about your family, men, cast vision. Describe a picture of what you want to be. Write it down. Write down your values together. Let them guide you. And then set some goals. I guess they... Our, our, your family should have some things you're trying to accomplish together. And maybe you want to think about, like, what are the goals you want for your family spiritually or, or financially or in health or in relationships or work? And, and you think about these key areas. Biblically, there is a vision for all of these areas that's laid out for us. And we can begin to discern that and we can begin to follow and set some goals that will lead us there. Then we're going to end up somewhere on purpose. All of this is just the picture. Great leaders do more than just paint a picture. Like here, we have a picture. We are a church that helps people to connect with God and one another, to fill with grace and truth and overflow in our community, and then to replicate in more healthy small churches. We know who we are. But it does no good to just have that picture out there of what we're trying to be and do together. You need the next step. And in, in, in leadership terms, it's strategy. But strategy sometimes is a scary word. It's just how. Have you ever thought about how you're going to end up where you want to end up? See, here's what happens. We start the new year. We're like, I'm going to end up this year 15 pounds less than I started it. But we end up 15 pounds heavier than we started it because we didn't have a plan. We say, I'm going to end up, I have a goal. I'm going to end up out of debt in X number of years. We get to X number of years and we end up with more debt. So we didn't have a plan. 
We know how. It doesn't matter how great a goal you have or a vision you have if you don't have a plan for attaining it, a plan for getting there. So vision tells us why. Strategy tells us how. How are we going to do this? How? Deuteronomy chapter 6 has a description of how we end up where we want. You see, Joshua, he was really good at vision. At the end of his story, he comes into a place and and they've settled in the new land uh, of, of Israel and and there's all these other gods and opportunities and things to follow and chase. And he says, for our family, we're going we're gonna to worship the Lord. You do what you want, we're going to worship the Lord. And that's going to be the case. All around us are, are gods of education and achievement and uh, accumulation and money and lust and achieving and, and relationships and all of these other things that you can chase all of your life. Or you can be a, a family that chases after the Lord. And that was the vision and then we have Moses who tells us how in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, the Lord, your Lord, your God is one. Whenever you get together at the table, talk about it. Whenever you sit down at night, talk about it. When you're walking, talk about it. Let him be at the center of your conversation and everything. He has a how. How to end up as people of the Lord. I have two amazing children who are very different from one another. Right? Noah is ready to help, and Sophie is too. Noah's, Noah is driven and focused and, and, and wants to do what you ask him to do. Sophie wants to do what you don't ask her to do. Right? She's the stubborn one. She gets it from her mother, I mean, from me. <laughs> she really does get it from me. And in her early years, she was the stubborn, like, put at two, put her hand on her hip and, and threaten, dare you to spank her, dance in joy as you punish her by taking every toy out of her room one by one. Like, she didn't care. Like, I'll pay the price as long as I can do what I want. I mean, she's, she's just that way. And I remember having a conversation with her because I, that was what her to be. Not who I felt like God wanted her to be. And I had a responsibility to lead her into a better way of living than that. I knew that would bring her only pain. Soon from me and then eventually from the world. And I, and I told her as I prayed, God, help me to, uh, to break her will but not her spirit. I said, Sophie, I love you and I love that you're stubborn. You get it from me. When a boy wants you to do something you don't want to do, be stubborn. When bullies are picking on somebody, be stubborn. When things aren't right around you and, and you need to stand up for what is right, be stubborn. When I speak to you, do not be stubborn. <laughs> do not be stubborn. I need you to listen and trust me and do what I ask you to do. And I get an okay, daddy. And we've worked on this, and every now and again I have to come back and say, Sophie, I love that you're stubborn, you get it from me. But there's a strategy involved, because I want her to be the kind of woman who can listen and obey God. That can hear and do what he asks her to do. But if she never learns to obey me as her earthly father, she'll never be able to obey her heavenly father that she can't see. That she can't always be sure she's hearing. 
And so I have a responsibility, a strategy for helping her to get to a place where she can listen and obey God is to teach her to listen and obey me as her earthly father. And sometimes it may look strict and look like discipline. And it may be painful or disappointing to her. But there's a vision that's meant to bring about the very best possible life for her. And there's a strategy for how we're going to get there. And we've got to think through this stuff and just be intentional, Dad. It's not about what you can't do. It's about what you can do. You can paint a picture. You can think about some steps to get from here to there. And the last thing we have to do is just execute the plan. Like, have some guts in the moment to do what you need to do. To say what you need to say. To step up and act when you'd rather step back into the background. We have a tendency to do that as men. Let's just be honest. It's been a long, hard day. I'll sit here on the couch. You can hear the basketball in the driveway, but you're sitting on the couch. You don't have to do everything, but do something. Like, just do something. Memories are not made in the accumulation of every moment, but in the, the special moments, in the significant moments, create moments. And you don't have to do anything expensive or extravagant to create a moment. But they'll remember that game of 21 in the driveway. They'll remember sitting at the table if they like to draw and you drawing with them terribly. Or maybe, well, I don't know. They'll remember the moment you sit and talk about life. They'll remember this. And you are leading them somewhere, men. You are leading them somewhere. Let's be the kind of men who lead them somewhere good for them. We lead them somewhere on purpose. It's never too late to start. It's never too early to start. I can remember, I remember one time, we wanted to teach our kids to take responsibility for themselves. If you're blaming everybody else for all of your problems and responsibilities in life, you're never getting anywhere. I want to teach them to take responsibility for themselves, which means cleaning up your own toys. You made the mess. I don't need to clean it up for you. And so Noah, he wasn't even a year old. <laughs> Noah's not even a year old. He'll do it now. He'll clean up everybody else's mess. Maybe because of this moment of terrible fathering. Maybe it was good fathering. I don't know. Sorry, I'm rambling. The moment. He had played with Mr. Potato Head. It was all over the living room. And we were in my in-law's house with lots and lots of family. And it was time to eat. And I said, Noah, clean up your toys. He said, no. I ask my children before I tell stories on them. So they may get a little embarrassed, but they've given me permission to tell stories. So I'm not telling anything without permission, right? Yeah, he's going to say yes now because everybody's looking at him. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I really do. So I said, No. I said, Noah, clean up your toys. He said, no. I said, Noah, clean up the toys right now so we can eat. No. <laughs> so I got real close and said, Noah, I need you to clean these up. He still said, no. <laughs> so I took his hand in my hand, and we picked up each of those toys and put them away for the next 10 minutes. And now all the family was getting mad at me because I delayed their dinner, and I was too hard, and I was too strict, and he was just little. But he knows how to take responsibility for himself. It's never too young. It's never too late. Start. So maybe, Dad, what you do, maybe, man, what you do, 
See, if you don't have a family yet, guys, or maybe God, that's not what he has for you, but you can live this for yourself. Like, you can be the kind of man or the kind of woman who has a vision for yourself, has a strategy to get there, and lead yourself into following Jesus closely and execute. So when you'd rather sit down on the couch and turn on Netflix, you turn it off. And you read. Or you go for a run. Or you do something to help you grow or build a relationship. When you'd rather hide from your problems, you talk to a counselor. When you'd rather go shopping to feel better, you put your card away. It's about the decisions of becoming who you were meant to be. And men, we take responsibility not just for ourselves, but for those who follow us. Will you be the kind of man who does what you can? Let's go of what you can't and continues to walk towards somewhere and something of purpose and meaning and direction. That's what he asks of us. That's what we can do. Because they're going to follow you whether you want them to or not. They're going to walk into the gifts you give them and the curses you give them. And we give them both. We can work, be intentional, choose to act. It makes this, so these three things, let me tell you what it does for you. It makes this dad thing much easier. It makes it much easier. If you'll take a week, a month, three months, six months and work through this, come up with a picture, the values, think about how you're going to do things, then when the decision moment comes, You'll know exactly what to do because you'll just look back and say, what are we trying to accomplish? How are we going to get there? Well, then let's do that. You're not worried about everything else and what you're going to chase or not going to chase. You know what matters and you're going after it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these men, these men who do what they can. These men who have chosen to lead their families into a church service today. There are lots of places when, when the family looks at us and says, what do you want to do today? They could have chosen a hundred other things to do than to be here today. And God, I'm so thankful. I pray that something in these words will guide and strengthen us. That in your word we will hear that where there is no vision, our families perish. But that you will give us vision. Create values that run deep and guide us. And help us to follow those and to, to know how to live based on those. And to execute. When we'd rather sit back, help us to step up. When we'd rather not speak, help us to speak in love. Give us courage, God, to be all that you created us to be. To embrace this window of opportunity to invest in those you've entrusted to us. God, for those today who are hurting because dad couldn't be the dad that we needed. Those who are confused, those who are disappointed or hurting, would you be their comfort and strength? And would we discover you as that Father who is always with us? For those whose dads are serving in dangerous places, would you be their peace and comfort? God, we love you and we thank you for who you are and all of the ways 
that you bless us. Amen. Amen. Go and enjoy a homemade cookie on your way out. Enjoy this Father's Day. Men, we're grateful for the influence you have in this place and in our community.